My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Cardinal Sin of Manila, may he rest in peace, many years ago, told a story of how he needed $50,000 to do some repairs in his seminary in Manila. And when he was on a trip to Rome, he decided to do a novena to St. Pius X. And so every day at a certain time, he went there and knelt in front of the tomb of St. Pius X in St. Peter's Basilica. And about the third or fourth day, a man came to him and said, are you Cardinal Sin? And he said, yes. And he said, well, I'd like to invite you to lunch. So he accepted the invitation. And over lunch, he found this man was an executive in the Fiat Corporation. And he explained to the Cardinal that he and his wife had jobs, they were busy people, and they had one son. And recently it was the seventh birthday of their son. And they asked the son, what would you like for your birthday? And the fellow said, well, I would like that you and mum stay home from work and that we all go to mass together. And he said, my wife and I were very surprised at this. We expected him to ask for a bicycle or a special toy car or all sorts of uh, gadgets or something. But he asked for something spiritual. And we began to wonder what, where did he learn such things? Because we haven't been teaching him such things. And we began to examine our conscience and we realized, well, we've both been very involved in our work. We perhaps have not been spending as much time with him as we should. We certainly haven't been teaching him these values. So we began to wonder, well, who has been teaching him these values? And they had a Filipina household manager. And they realized that she was the one that was teaching these very good values to their son. And so they were extremely grateful. And so he said, I decided when I saw you that I wanted to show my gratitude in some way to the church in the Philippines for having this effect in my family through this very good girl that we've employed. And I was wondering if you had any project that you might need some help with. And so the Cardinal very readily explained that he was doing a novena to St. Pius X, asking for $50,000 for some repair work that he needed for his seminary. And so the man took out his checkbook and he wrote a check for $50,000. And the Cardinal, who had a great sense of humor, said, and when I saw the ease and the speed with which he wrote a check for $50,000, I told him, and that's just my first project. This is a meditation <coughs> about St. Pius X. 
whose feast day we celebrate on the 21st of August. He excelled in continuous service to the church, firstly as a parish priest, then as Archbishop of Venice, and finally as the Roman Pontiff. He put great effort into keeping the faith pure from doctrinal error. He reformed the sacred liturgy and promoted the custom of frequent reception of Holy Communion, especially for young children. The motto that he chose for his pontificate in Latin was instaurare omnia in Christo, to restore all things in Christ. And he died in August 1914. The entrance antiphon for this feast says the Lord sealed a covenant of peace with him and made him a prince, bestowing the priestly dignity upon him forever. The years of the pontificate of Pius X were particularly difficult. There were a lot of internal upheavals and transformations in many nations. And these had a consequent serious impact on the Christian faithful. There were what somebody called gale force winds tearing through the church at that time of an ideological and doctrinal nature. Many a fruit of the wrong ideas that had circulated in the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. And Pope Pius X, well, he faced up to these errors. Then Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Simon, son of Jonah, you are a blessed man, because it was no human agency that revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And so now I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so Peter has the power of the keys. Peter is guided by the Holy Spirit. One of the most important truths of our faith is that the Holy Father is guided by the Holy Spirit. If that wasn't the case, well then the church would just be a human organization, not worth believing in. But because we believe God is with his church, the Holy Spirit is guiding the Pope and the bishops in every move, especially when he speaks on faith and morals, well then that's worthy of our humble belief. And so we can have a great faith in Peter. Part of our Christian spirit is to have a great love for Peter, to pray for Peter. Peter is the rock. It's emphasized to us the importance of being close to Peter, the source of truth, of beauty, of love. We have an awful lot to be proud of in our church. At the time of the pontificate of Pope Pius X, the attempts to reconcile the faith with a philosophy whose principles were diametrically opposed to it brought numerous widely diffused errors. 
These ideologies attacked the very foundations of Catholic doctrine and led directly to its denial. Hence the, his choice of motto to restore all things in Christ. He wanted to stem the tide of the many evils that threatened the faithful. He frequently insisted on the damage ignorance of the faith produces. Mother Teresa used to say that gracious poverty is ignorance. One of the spiritual counsels, works of mercy, is to instruct the ignorant. Opius used to say that it's useless to expect a person without formation to fulfill his Christian duties. And so time and again, he pointed out the need to teach catechism. We could think for a moment about the importance of young children learning the catechism. You see, children pick up in the catechism ideas, truths, that they might otherwise take a lifetime to discern the indissolubility of marriage, the sacredness of human life. If the temporal reality in the world is the very opposite of these truths, and every time they look around them, they find something completely alien to these truths, they might never discover them. And so when we teach catechism, we open their minds, their hearts, and their souls to the eternal truths that are beautiful, that are the pathway to God. Often we might think that the place where children learn catechism is in school or in the parish. But the primary place the Second Vatican Council teaches us that children have to be formed and educated is in the home. And so it's very good to check with your growing children that they know very clearly the basic truths of our faith. A number of years ago, I was talking to a six-year-old kid. It was the Feast of the Blessed Trinity. And so I asked the child, who came from an excellent Catholic family, how many persons there were in the Blessed Trinity. And this fellow very confidently said four. And so I was curious and asked him, so who are the four? And he said, Francisca, Jacinta, Lucia, and Mother Teresa. And that brought home to me the importance of young children knowing the basic aspects of their faith from a very young age. And so from the uneasiness of Pius X concerning the lack of Christian formation, he produced the Catechism of the Pius, of Pius, Saint Pius X, which has done an awful lot of good in the church. After the Second Vatican Council, Cardinal Ratzinger and John Paul II produced what we know as the Catechism of the Catholic Church, marvelous body of truths, something we should be trying to get through little by little. And if you haven't read the chapters on marriage and the family, apart from all the other wonderful chapters, well, it's a particularly relevant chapter to, to read and to read again and to know well, to get those ideas in very clearly so that we can also transmit those ideas. Pius X had a, had a vehement desire to give doctrine in a world that was 
starving for the want of it. This is reflected throughout his entire magisterium. And so you see that the concerns that he had at that particular time, well, are very similar to the sort of concerns we have today in the pagan environment that is sweeping across the world. And even as Pope, he didn't want to abandon the teaching of the Catechism, the traditional means of disseminating good doctrine, which ultimately is a series of good ideas, wonderful true ideas on which to build your life. Until 1911, he often taught in the Vatican in one of the courts there in the courtyards of the, of the Vatican. He taught the catechism there. On Sundays, he used to invite some of the faithful from a Roman parish to celebrate Mass with him. Many of the ideas that he fought very strongly against are uncritically accepted in our own day. In countries evangelized almost 20 centuries ago, great numbers of people are ignorant of the most elementary truths of the faith. We have to try and make sure that our own country doesn't fall into that category. You need to keep alight that burning candle of, of catechism, of truth and faith in many hearts. John Paul II, in a wonderful document in 1988 called In Latin Christi Fidelis Laici, the lay faithful of Christ, he said, many are defenseless and with the complicity of their own passions, allow themselves to be taken in by the erroneous opinions of a few. Somebody once said that the, there were three powerful modeling mediums in the old world. The family, uh, the, the, the parish, the church, and the, uh, and the school. And now there's a fourth, which is the media. And sometimes the media can seem stronger than all the other things, all the other powerful modeling mediums that there are. I happened to mention this as a class once and my grandfather stood up and said, Father, I'd like to disagree with you. Because okay, the media is very strong, but I found in my life when I was educating my children and bringing them up, I taught them to be very careful with the television, careful with what they read. I gave them certain criteria, how to handle the media. And now my children are married and they have their own children. I find that they're passing on to their children the criteria and the ideas that I taught them about how to handle the media. And so my point is that the media may seem very strong, but he said, we are stronger. The family as a modeling medium is stronger than all the other mediums. If we use it well, well, we plant those clear ideas that our children identify as valuable and timeless and pass on to their children. And so the call of Pius X to conserve and spread good doctrine is still a fully current and vital issue. In whatever way possible, it's especially urgent to make known the teachings of the church on the meaning of life, on the end of man and his eternal destiny, 
the immortality of the soul, on marriage, on openness to life, generosity and faith in the number of children, on the right and duty of parents to choose the education their children receive, on the incredible ideas of the social doctrine of the church, powerful ideas to change society, on love for the Pope and his teachings, and on the evil of abortion. Tremendously relevant to spread ideas in season and out of season on all of these issues. And so we should try and do all that we can. John Paul II in his encyclical Redemptoris Missio, the mission of the Redeemer, said the faith is strengthened by sharing it. The more we share our faith, the stronger in faith we become. And so the family catechism, the spreading of good books, daily conversations concerning faith and morals, all these are great ideas and great moments to share in all the opportunities that the Holy Spirit may give us. It is for this that we are. When we look at the life of Pope Pius X, well, we see that he loved and served the church with great fidelity. We could ask God for the grace to help us to grow in our love for the church. Church is our mother. Possibly by the grace of God, we've been born in the womb of the church and educated there. Or we've been brought into the womb of the church by a special grace. And so love for the church and love for the Pope is part of our DNA. We can be very proud of our church, as I heard a speaker saying once at a pro-life conference. Rather interesting phrase. I felt I'd never heard that before. She said, our church is the number one healthcare worker in the world. Our church has defended the sacredness of human life in the last 50 years, the only institution on the planet to do so. Unfortunately, all the other churches have bent. We have an awful lot to be proud of. The great work of education that our church has done. Most countries in Asia have a 5% Catholic population with the exception of the Philippines and Vietnam. But in those countries where there's a 5% population, Nearly all the best schools and hospitals are run by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church enjoys enormous prestige. In some countries, all of the social services of the country are run by the Catholic Church. And in old countries of a Catholic tradition, even if they have a great educational and healthcare system at the moment, a hundred years ago, all of that was started by institutions of the Catholic Church. They enjoy great prestige. And so we have much to be proud of and to be grateful for. One third of AIDS patients in the world today are cared for in Catholic institutions. There's a lot of things we don't know of what our church has been doing in the past hundred years. It's very good to realize how much we have received from the church. 
in terms of education, and not just education, but standards of education, standards of healthcare, in culture, in our spiritual formation, in ideas about the purpose and meaning of our existence, about Christian ideals, which are the greatest ideals anybody could have on the planet, about the truth, beauty, and meaning of human love, of marriage, of the family, of the meaning of service displayed for us in the lives of so many people who went before us. All sorts of helps that lead us to live our Christian vocation to the full and produce fruit that will last, the purpose of our life. And when we come to realize all that we have received, well, that begs the question, well, what have I given? There's a phrase from the Psalms that says, what shall I give back to God for all that he has given to me? We could rephrase that and say, well, what have I given back to the church for all the church has given to me? And by the church, we could mean our parish. We could mean an outstation up country that we could try to support and build more. We could mean the universal church. How have I contributed to the spirit of doctrine and truth and love in the world? How have I built up my domestic church, my family, to hopefully be a seedbed of vocations, corresponding well to the call to holiness and apostolate, the basic calls of the Christian vocation, are to live out what Pope Francis called in a recent document, our baptismal priesthood, which is the priesthood of every baptized person. Priesthood is somebody who offers sacrifices. Christ offered sacrifices. That's why he was the eternal high priest. He most offered the sacrifices on the cross. And so on the cross, he lives the priestly virtues, humility, obedience, generosity, service, charity. And so Pope Francis, by our baptismal priesthood, he means our calling to stand beside the cross or to carry the cross in all sorts of moments or to defend our church or help it in all sorts of ways. From the beginning of the pontificate of Pope Pius X, he effected a series of far-reaching reforms. He gave special attention to priests, from whom he expected everything. He often said in different ways that the sanctity of the Christian people depends in large measure on the holiness of their priests. And so on the 50th anniversary of his own ordination, he dedicated an exhortation to all priests entitled On the Kind of Priests the Church Needs. It's called Herentis Animo, 4th of August 1908. Pope St. John Paul II has done something similar. He issued about four different documents on the priesthood. And in his other encyclicals, more or less outlined all the ideas with which God wants the church and the priesthood shaped in the 21st century. 
And so above all, St. Pius X asked for saintly priests, entirely given to their work for souls. And many of the problems and needs and circumstances that were obvious during the 11 years of his pontificate are still very relevant. And so today we can use it as a good occasion to examine the quality of our love for the church shown with deeds. Have I ever stuck out my neck for the church or her doctrine or what she stands for, her values, her truth, her beauty, her love? Have I ever got my head chopped off for the church? Some people have done so. In that same document, Christi Fidelis Laici, wonderful document to take and read of John Paul II on the lay faithful, he said, in the midst of temporal cares, do we have a living consciousness of being members of the church, of a personal, irreplaceable, and non-transferable task entrusted to us for the good of all? There's a phrase in scripture that says, if you knew the gift of God, see, sheer is day. If you realized the great gift that God has given to us, the talents, the truths, and all of this God will ask us to account for. And so we all have this need to give good doctrine, taking advantage of every occasion, creating the occasions, helping others to find the way to reconciliation with God through the sacrament of confession, to pray each day and offer hours of work well finished for the sanctity of priests, to generously help to sustain the church and good works, to contribute to the spread of the teachings of the church, principally in matters that refer to social justice, public morality, education, and the family. In the way we're told, what joy to be able to say, with all the fervor of my soul, I love my mother, the Holy Church. And so it's very important that we don't just see the church as the Pope and the bishops and the priests and the nuns. I am the church. This has been very clear since the Second Vatican Council. We are all part of the church. I am responsible for the church. I need to take the church in my shoulders and move forward. Let us also examine, we're told, our filial love for the Pope. A love which is for all Christians a delightful passion, since in him we see Christ. Very good idea to help your children to grow up knowing who the Pope is and to love the Pope in a very special way. I was at a celebration of a religious profession, 60th anniversary of a religious profession last year, and the nun who was celebrating her profession, 76-year-old, told a story of how when she was six year, years old in her primary or kindergarten school, a missionary priest came to speak to these little children. And he asked the children, 
to pray for the little children in Africa who didn't know Jesus. Now this nun said, I was very moved by that. And there were children in Africa who didn't know Jesus. Now behind this story, there's also the faith of that missionary priest who comes and talks to little kids. Because you might think that children don't understand anything or nothing goes in. But the Holy Spirit works. And this nun said, that was the beginning of my missionary vocation. She has now been something like 50 years in Africa. But she traced it all back to that missionary priest. She tried to find out who he was later in life, but she wasn't successful. But she has a very vivid memory of those moments. And the priest asked her, asked all the little children, to go home to their families and ask their mom if the last decade of the rosary every night could be for the little children in Africa who didn't know Jesus. So she thought this was a great idea. So she went home to her mother of 10 children and gave this idea to her mother. And the mother said, no, the last decade is for the Pope. But it could be the second last decade. And so they began to say the second last decade for the little children in Africa who didn't know Jesus. But in the process, she learned also how important the Pope was. And their family, there was a special decade set aside for the Pope. And this good Catholic mother was bringing up her children with a great awareness of that. Another beautiful story. And so we could think of whether every day we remember to pray for the person and the intentions of the Roman Pontiff so that the Lord may watch over and strengthen and sanctify him on earth. It's good to be aware that no Pope has it easy. There's a lot of people uttering very strong things against the Pope, attacking him personally and the doctrines of the church and everything he does. But you see, the Pope is the, not just the spiritual leader of the world, but in many ways he's the human leader of the world. Two years ago, the Pope went to Dublin for the World Meeting of Families and a journalist was describing his arrival and unconsciously said a few things. He said that 26,000 journalists or 13,000 journalists, I can't remember the exact number, I think it was 13,000 journalists had come with the Pope for his two or three day visit. I think that's something like 10 jumbos. And he said, last year when President Trump came, there were 4,000. So unconsciously, the journalist was saying that we think the President of the United States is the most important person in the world. But in reality, many people and the journalists say that it's the leader of the Catholic Church. And so there are many things for us to be aware of. Our unity to the Pope is a very wonderful thing. To have that faith in the Holy Spirit. Our love for the church has to lead us to remember that the church is holy. Holy because she's the bride of Christ. Has always been holy. Sometimes the sins of her members may 
stay in that holiness a little bit, but never take away from the basic holiness that's there in the church. And so we're not worried about scandals and all sorts of terrible things that we may hear, because we know that all human beings on earth are capable of the most terrible things. We can all be weak. We are all full of miseries. But the church is holy. She's the bride of Christ. She has all the graces that we need for all eternity. They were one on Calvary with the crucifixion, with the redemption. And so we can always be at peace and serene and have great faith and hope and joy in our mother, the church, and foster our personal love for the church in all sorts of ways. And try to help the church to fulfill her role. There was a a priest in Ireland many years ago who appeared on a talk show, a very popular talk show. And this priest always dressed in clerical attire. And a compare of the show asked him, you know, I notice you always dress in clerical attire. Why is that? And he told a rather nice story. He said, when I was a kid, we were playing soccer in the street. And a little old nun came down the street and went into one of the houses where there was an elderly lady there. And while I was playing soccer, I saw this out of the corner of my eye. And he said, that registered that that's sister so-and-so, and she's going in to visit Mrs. So-and-so. And he said, later on, I realized that's the church in action. Because that nun was wearing her habit, I witnessed the church in action. And so that's why I always dress in clerical attire. The faithful and the non-faithful have a right to always see the witness of the church in action. And each one of the lay faithful, we also, in all the ways that we can, have to try and give that example. This is what the church is all about. The church is love. Christ is love. Christianity is love. God is love. We're called to reflect that love in all sorts of ways. I am the church. And no matter where I am or what I'm doing 24-7, I have to give that witness because that's the meaning of my Christian vocation. And we have to try and serve the church then in the way that the church wants to be served, in our profession, in our football club, in our golf club, in our bridge club, in our coffee morning club, or all the places where people meet to get together. We have to try and serve the church in those places. I heard of a, an engineering priest once who was a bit of an expert in computers and phones and repairing them and mending them. And in the country where he lived, many of the bishops got to hear about him, that he was a bit of a, a wizard in mending all these things. And of course, every so often all these things break down. So one by one, the bishops used to call him to mend their phone, to mend their laptop, to fix this, to fix that. And it did a great service to all the bishops in helping them in this way. And somebody remarked, this is serving the church as she wants to be served. And so we each of us have to find that way to serve the church. A cardinal of the church once said that the church's mission, as the Pope repeats, has always been the same. To proclaim to the world that beauty, happiness, 
The answer to man's most profound questions is not an idea, a philosophical system, or a series of teachings, but a person, Jesus Christ, dead and risen for our salvation. And so we have to try and unite our friends to the church and to the Pope, make his person and his teaching attractive. Pope Benedict, shortly after his election, said the church of today must revive her awareness of the duty to repropose to the world the voice of the one who said, I am the light of the world. No follower of mine shall ever walk in darkness. No, he shall possess the light of life. And so the Holy Father, in carrying out his ministry, knows that his task is to make Christ's light shine out before the men and women of today. Not his own light, but the light of Christ. The entire activity of the church is an expression, what Benedict said, of, of a love that seeks the integral good of man. It seeks his evangelization through word, through the word and the sacraments. An undertaking that is often heroic in the way it's acted out in history. And it seeks to promote man in the various arenas of life and of human activity. And so we're told in the forge, and apart from other things, quoting St. Paul, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. This sigh of the apostle, we're told, is a reminder for all Christians, for you too, of our duty to place at the feet of the spouse of Christ, of the Holy Church, all that we are and all that we can be, loving her faithfully, even at the cost of livelihood, of honour, of life itself. Don't be scared by it, we're told in the forge again. Insofar as you can, you should fight against the conspiracy of silence they want to muzzle the church with. Some people stop her voice being heard. Others will not let the good example of those who preach with their deeds be seen. Others wipe out every trace of good doctrine, and so very many cannot bear to hear her. Don't be scared, I say again, but don't get tired either of your task of being a loudspeaker for the teachings of the Magisterium. Become more Roman day by day. Love that blessed quality, which is the ornament of the children of the one true church. For Jesus wanted it to be so. And so we can ask Our Lady, Mother of the Church, that she might help us in days like today, the Feast of St. Pius X, to grow in that love for the Church and for the Pope, whoever he may be.